podcast produced by the College of Applied Science and Technology at Illinois State University. I'm your host, Kara Snyder, and I serve as the Assistant Dean of Marketing, Communications, and Constituent Relations for the College. Each episode, we're sitting down with an alum of the college, and today we have a chance to talk to Amy Fowler-Sadler. Amy is an Information Technology alumna and currently serves as Vice President, Client Executive Healthcare Provider for NTT Data Services. Thanks, Kara. I'm thrilled to be here as well. Well, let's start at the beginning. Why did you choose ISU? Uh, I would tell you initially it was because I grew up in central Illinois and I looked at the state colleges as I was going to be paying my way through college myself. And I went to the campus, fell in love with it and you know, made that decision. And they also had a great program Uh, at that time as well was relatively new, but a great program that I felt was going to work for me. And that's how I chose ISU. So did you know you wanted to major in computer information systems right out of high school? Not exactly. I was in high school actually working as a pharmacy technician in a hospital. And that's actually where I got exposed to computers. And we had at the old green screen computer. And as part of my job, I had to enter in charges for, uh, drugs in the pharmacy to patients. And so I had part of my shift. That's what I was doing. And of course, I started thinking there must be a better way. Right. And so (laughs) then I had some happenstance happen with me. Um, I saw a sign about, you know, are you logical and does, you know, is technology something and data processing something that you'd be interested in? And I was like, yeah, I think I am. Right. Because I had had that exposure at work and I, you know, had thought about it. And then I, found out I actually was quite logical (laughs) at that time. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think you have to be great at math to be in technology, which I say, I actually think you have to be more logical than than mathematical. I mean, there's some of both, but uh, logic plays a big role in it, uh, especially early if you're going to be a programmer. And so then I just started down that path and then, you know, later found out I actually was pretty darn good at it. So tell me about your time on campus, because I, you know, I love your story about how you chose your major. And I think especially at the time that you were on campus, that was probably rare for a female in information technology. Tell me about what that experience was like for you. Um, I actually transferred from a junior college to ISU. So I had already cleared out my basic courses. Right. So when I came to the campus, I was sort of deep dive right into the um, computer information systems program. And so I I didn't really know what to expect. And I think that was probably my first exposure to how few women, for example, were in the program. But I kind of took it as a challenge. I had always been told I could do and be anything I wanted to be. And so I really didn't think that much about it. And I didn't really even know what I was truly getting myself into, (laughs) right? (laughs) When you're in college, you're, you know... 18, 20 years old, you think you know what that looks like. And, you know, you go down a path and really you don't really understand it until you go out in the world and, you know, get a job with that, with that and uh, find out if you like it. But so, it, you know, it, it uh, there were a few other people that I connected with quickly and I created sort of my, my group of people to go through the program and that, you know, that worked for me. So tell us then about your first job out of school. What was that for you? What was the search process like? Sure. Well, I had a sister who lived up in the Chicago suburbs. And so uh, I definitely had my eye on moving up 
near Chicago and going to a big city. I had obviously grown up in a small town, East Peoria, Illinois, and went to a you know, relatively small town in normal Illinois, right, for college. And so I wanted to experience big city. And uh, so I very specifically focused on companies in that Chicago metro area. I ended up getting a job as a software developer for an insurance uh, company that built insurance software. So my very first job out was sort of out in the suburbs, but they hired lots and lots of college graduates. So I got to have the opportunity to have a college graduate program, you know, felt like I had a lot of other um, comrades that were in the same place that I was right out of college. And so it, it really was a great way to sort of enter the, the market. It is so nice to have peers that are experiencing what you're experiencing. And then also to have that opportunity where the first job is in your field. I think that's so exciting for a new graduate. Yeah, absolutely. So give us the Cliff's Notes version of how you got from that entry-level job to your current position. You know, I introduce you as a vice president, and I've got to think that feels good. So what happened in between? <laughs> sure. So, you know, I, I was a, a developer. I quickly became clear that one of the gaps at that time was the, between technology and business partners and being able to communicate well between the two. And also being able to uh, think about how to get things done, <laughs> you know, project management. And it was pretty quick that I was great at multitasking. I had the communication skills to sort of bridge the gap between business needs and technology needs. So I quickly went from being technical all the time to running projects, which is a shift for a lot of people who come out and be technical first. They have to sort of decide do they want to maintain all those technical skills or sort of move more towards business management, I would call it. I quickly moved to that, um, moved jobs uh, a couple times, ended up working for uh, Quaker Oats at one point in my career in Chicago and ran a big M&A initiative. So I was getting a lot closer to big business decisions impacted by technology. And I really liked it. And, and it made me want to get even closer to the revenue of the business, right? And what would really impact the business um, through technology. And so uh, somewhere in there, I moved to Colorado. I took on a product management job, which really was, hey, I had a product that was commercially sold. So you think about it, it was the revenue. And so that felt good. I really was building something with technology that was generating, you know, commerce. And uh, I did that for a while and then got exposed to consulting. And um, I fell in love. <laughs> and so I quickly, and then when you're a consultant, you are the revenue, right? And so I was taking ideas of how to change businesses by leveraging technology. And that was the sweet spot. I, I knew right away that was what I wanted to do. And so I, I over time, um, worked for a company called Pro Systems and got to have a lot of different roles, run delivery, do sales, create marketing. And then I started to actually get into the business of running technology. And um, if you fast forward, I ended up starting my own business. And I had a management consulting firm for about 15 years before I sold it. And I got to run a business that was all about implementing technology solutions so that was completely different, very entrepreneurial, but I was still leveraging all the skills I had built. And then after I sold that business, I, I had some things I still wanted to do, which is where I'm at today. I wanted to work for a global market, a huge entity that had global presence. I wanted to get exposed to all the diverse uh, ways that we can develop technology across the globe. I also wanted to um, 
really thoughtful about what vertical I wanted to be working in. I had worked and been exposed to a lot of different business industries. And I feel like where I'm at today in healthcare provider is where I need to be. I feel like as, as it relates to technology, while we're making advancements in every industry, I believe healthcare is a place that we can make the most positive change for the world. So that's important to me. So not only do I want to love my job, I want to help make a difference in the world. So I feel like for me, where I'm at being in healthcare, I can really see how we can really change how things feel for patients. And so that, that feels good, right? That's exciting. That must be really exciting to wake up every day and know that you're making that kind of an impact, especially on a global scale. So there's a lot to unpack here about your journey. Um, tell us about owning your own business. What was it like to be your own boss? Uh, definitely pros and cons, right? I mean, uh, you you probably have to be a type A overachiever, which I profess that <laughs> I am all the time, but you also work all the time, right? And so, and it's very personal when it's your own business. It's very, very personal. Hiring, firing, working with clients. We named our company our name on purpose to make it be about our integrity. So there's a lot on the line that maybe you don't feel quite as much when you're working for an employer. Um, but overall, it was an incredible learning experience. You know, and I built a huge uh, network as a result of it. I really got entrenched in our communities that we worked in. Uh, trying to do some good in return, which I think having my own business afforded me to do maybe more than I would have otherwise. But there are the cons of it, right? It is personal. <laughs> so when you had to make tough decisions, those seemed really hard. Um, and you're never off. There's no off when you own your own business. And so uh, I loved it. I was glad I did it. I, I would never uh, regret doing it. I definitely have some family members that I have, my children that have some entrepreneur spirit in them. And I, I understand it. I think it's a great thing to do for anybody to at least experience what that feels like. I think that's that's fantastic perspective and wonderful for our listeners to hear that you've had that opportunity, you got to experience that. And then now, as you mentioned, you're making this impact in the field of healthcare, which is so important, and you're doing it on a global scale. So tell us, what is your favorite thing about your current role? Uh, the people I work with and our clients. I mean, I, I have a huge um, army of people that work on teams with me to try to deliver solutions to our clients and make a difference. And so working with them day in and day out, everybody has just a huge amount of passion for what we do. We're all trying to do it as fast as we can, as be, you know, the best possible way that we can. And so it 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 feels good. And then, you know, when we we solve problems for clients, it feels good. And so There's I've met I have many clients who become friends. I have many clients who become mentors. I have mentored many people that are employer employees, and I've also had mentors that were employees. So I feel like that overlap between our relationships and teams plus the work that we do is is really the part that I love. And, and like I said, the global nature of it, I have teams and people in Mexico, Canada, Europe, US, you name it, all, all over the world. And so getting to be exposed to how they think and solve problems and, and develop solutions is it's pretty cool. Well, and I know you are so passionate about mentorship, both giving and receiving and that whole relationship process. Tell us about Women Inspiring Leaders, your 501c3. Sure. When I started my business, um, this was quite a long time ago. <laughs> it was apparent between myself and some of the big industry partners out there that 
maybe there was a need for women in tech specifically, and that there was a gap for them to feel like they had the network they needed uh, to advance. And so we, on sort of a whim, held this one event <laughs> and invited our network and 150 women standing room only showed up and we were like, oh, okay, there's a need. And so, we, <laughs> you know, we had some inspirational speakers. We did some workshop kind of activities and we continued that on while I owned the business. Now, when I sold the business, I needed to move that into something. And that's when I, so about five years ago, when I started uh, here at my current role, I converted it into a 501c3, but it's really about helping. And it's broader than just women in tech. So I would say it started for women in tech and then it really broadened to just women in business. And so it's, it's really, a, our mission is to try to help women, one, feel inspired, two, feel like they have a, a village in the network, you know, and, and three, help them get continued education so that they continually feel like, you know, there's a lot of things that are unique to women around that journey. There's also a lot of things that aren't unique and they're just general leadership skills. And so we try to balance, you know, those kinds of needs. And we do it here regionally in Colorado today is, is where I focus for that 501c3. That's so exciting. And what a tangible way to give back and, and make an impact. You know, you've worked in this male dominated field your entire career and through your work with your 501c3, I know you've also given lectures in various capacities. Uh, you've been able to share some of this wisdom that you've acquired. How were you able to find your voice? I think by trial and error. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, being exposed, having experiences, both positive and negative, um, and having sort of that strong will to be successful. And also mostly to try to make sure that I can help pave the way and make it maybe just a little bit easier for that person right behind me. So it, it really just motivated me to make sure that I did find my voice and that I was trying to help advocate as much as possible. And what would you tell our students or maybe a young professional about the value of speaking up? You know, they have a seat at the table. What would your advice be on using their voice? Sure. I mean, I'd say, first of all, being fearless is freeing, right? So, so if you mm -hmm. find your voice, finding your voice has a lot to do with confidence and being fearless. And once you realize that you are fearless, nothing seems nearly as hard. So, you know, I think that the most the largest benefit from finding your voice is actually feeling that freedom that you go, Hey, I know who I am. I can speak up and say what I need to. And, you know, if you work somewhere where you can't do that, maybe that's not the right place to work and it'll help you, you know, shape your career in the way you want it. So I think really trying to get that confidence that you can have a voice, whether it's in a meeting or talking to a peer or talking to your boss, you know, finding your voice can come in a lot of different forms. And so, uh, just having the confidence to be okay with that and, and understanding, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen. And most of the time it really isn't really bad. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> positive. It actually, it tends up being growth as opposed to something negative. So, and taking risk, you know, finding your voice is about being okay, taking risks. That's a great point. And I know earlier you said that it takes a village, which I think is so true. But on the flip side of that, I think in today's culture, we can sometimes feel like we have to achieve a lot on our own. You know, sometimes we feel like we might be in silos or that we have to achieve a lot as an individual. It can be lonely. So tell us about your village and why you think it's so valuable to have one. Yeah, um, it, it's funny. Over time, 
I've sort of changed my attitude about this. So initially, of course, I had built a network and there were certain people that I reached out to, whether to mentor or just lament or discuss, you know, what was going on with myself or in the market or, you know, ideas on how to do something differently or something that had happened in the, the day of my job. Um, and so I sought those people out very specifically, but then I had a friend of mine and I used to fly, you know, quite a bit. And I had a friend of mine, I said, man, you can get insight anywhere. And so I started being more open to literally just talking to the person next to me on the plane. And I can't tell you how many times the right person, the right conversation was sitting next to me on the plane. So it's, um, part of us just being open to what does village mean? Is it a very specific mentor? It can be. Is it a specific set of friends that you trust? For sure. You know, do you want to be thoughtful about it? Of course. But also sometimes you get that, that village in places you don't expect. Like I said, I have partners, clients, uh, family members, my kids, all of them are in my village of kind of make my, my sister is one of my uh, strongest mentors that I've had in my, in my whole life. And uh, all of them each sort of play a role in who Amy is today, right. And helping influence me and in, in making my decisions. So uh, I just think, I don't know how you do it without it <laughs> really. Right. Because we all have, we all have stuff. And so knowing you have those people that all support and help. And um, I think even the job that I got today, uh, isn't an interesting story in that it was from networking. It was through a, a gentleman that I had stayed connected with for 20 years. And so I just, oh, wow. I just started calling the people that I knew when I was interested in selling my business. And I obviously had to keep that confidential. I could really not talk a lot about it. And I called a few confidential people that I had stayed in touch with. And I got my job from that. Um, and so those long standing relationships in that village they pay off when you don't even expect it. Even my relationship with ISU, I went to ISU to say, Hey, I want to volunteer for your, you know, helping support women there. And you had a program that you were doing. And that actually led to me, you know, being inducted. I wasn't looking for that. I was actually looking, you know, so it's sometimes your actions just absolutely have indirect impact. And I think that's so important for our students and our young professionals to remember is because, you know, I remember being a student and hearing the word networking and it felt like it was associated with so much pressure and it felt like it was something on the to do list and to hear you talk about it, how refreshing that that can happen you know, with a stranger on a plane and all we have to do is take our headphones out and be open to those opportunities. I think that's that's fantastic perspective and a great point. Yeah. And not think that it has to be some overwhelming, you know, event. And I tell people, but you have to be genuine. You know, networking is about being genuine. You have to sincerely want to hear what somebody has to say. You have to sincerely be open to it. Um, you have to be sincerely interested in what that person's trying to do or trying to tell you. And so, you know, once you get that, it's, it's very easy, right? Because it's just who you are. And so then, then it doesn't feel like, quote, you know, work to go network. It's just... Uh, being yourself. Right. Being yourself and connecting with those people and those opportunities and even in spaces where you might not expect it. I think yeah. that's fantastic. So, Amy, we are going to head into the lightning round, which is, you know, one of my favorite parts. So we just get to know you a little bit more. So go with your first instinct on these questions. Are you a morning person or a night owl? 
Uh, I'm going to laugh and say neither, but if I had to pick one, I'll I'll say morning. I'm a morning person. (laughs) Fair enough. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And so I I took four years of Latin in high school. I was working in a hospital as a pharmacy tech because I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Okay, but what a full circle moment for you now that you are working in healthcare and having that impact in a related field. Isn't that interesting? It has absolutely been very apparent <laughs> it's full circle that there was something there and it's I'm, it's all the way back around. It's very cool. That's awesome. Who do you text the most? Gosh, my husband, my kids, my sister, I would say. Favorite holiday? You know, we're in December, so I'm I'm in full holiday mode. What's your favorite? I would probably say the, the Christmas holiday season. Everything from Thanksgiving, but this whole time of year, it's not only a time to be with your family and friends, but also to remind yourself of what you're thankful for, to get to be with people that maybe haven't seen a lot during your year and catch up. And so I love the whole season and the whole being thoughtful. And then, you know, year end kind of allows you to reflect on what have you done for the year or not done for a year? Where do you want to go next year? So this whole time really from Thanksgiving to the end of the year and the new year is, is one of my favorite, I'd say, holiday seasons. Yes, it is so special. So, well, and on that note, then salty or sweet? Oh, salty all the way. <laughs> and book or movie? You know, I love both, but right now I'm say I'm on a heavy movie mode. I do a lot of reading during the day for work. And so I, I've been off of that, but I'd say growing up, I was much more of a book person, but right now I'm doing a lot of consumption of movies and series. Cause there's just so much out there. There is that's for sure. If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Time, time <laughs> to do more things. I hear that. If we could squeeze another hour or 12 in a day, that would be ideal for sure. And then I have to get your vote. Avanti's gondola or pub two cheese balls? Well, hands down, Avanti's. There's not a time when I don't go home to visit family that I am not somehow having Avanti's. I'm either swinging by through right by the airport in Bloomington or I'm doing it. They have them in, you know, East Peoria and Peoria. I absolutely am always having it every time I'm home. An Avanti's gondola by far. There's nothing like it. Cannot replicate that. (laughs) Okay, one more question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to a college student, what would you tell them? I would tell them, have a plan, but don't don't be closed to opportunity. I will tell you, in my career, people put ideas in my head. I never planned on having my own business. That actually came from other people saying, hey, when are you going to start your own business? And so that was just an opportunity that happened. That wasn't in my plan but then I did it. Right. And so I just say, have a plan, but be open to changing and adjusting. And as you grow and figure out what you like and don't like, be okay with that. Right. Um, Because that journey will be fun. Right. There's no, I say there's no straight line to get to wherever you think you want to get to. And so I never imagined I'd have that business. And I did for 15 years. I never imagined I'd have it for 15 years. That was not my plan. My plan was only to have it for five to seven years. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was 15, you know? And so um, just have one, but don't feel like, you know, if you don't quite stick to it, if opportunity knocks on your door, absolutely, you know, open the door. 
That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been a conversation with Amy Fuller-Stadler, who currently serves as Vice President, Client Executive Healthcare Provider for NTT Data Services. Join us next time on the podcast for more stories from our cast alumni.